Hi, and welcome to Malicious Life. I'm Ran Levy. I know you're probably waiting for part two of our mini-series on the Gozi malware. We're working on it, and it will be ready for next week. In the meantime, we wanted to give you something extra to listen to. So, a recent episode of our podcast focused on spyware, software sold to governments, militaries, as well as ordinary people, for the purpose of covertly spying on somebody else's electronic devices. As part of that episode, Nate Nelson, our senior producer, who you've probably heard before speaking in the podcast, interviewed Lodrina Cherny, an expert in stalkerware. We only ended up using a small part of her interview, so as a bonus for those of you who are interested in hearing more about spyware, here is the full conversation Nate had with Lordrina on what spyware is, how it works, who sells it, and how you can avoid it yourself. Enjoy the interview. Lodrina, can you introduce yourself for our listeners? My name is Lodrina Cherney. I'm a digital forensics instructor for the SANS Institute and a product manager at Cyber Reason. Can I start off by asking you simply, what is Stalkerware? Okay, so Stalkerware is software that can track somebody using a device Typically, we're talking about some kind of tracking that is not consensual by the person being tracked. So this could come in two different forms. We could be talking about legitimate software, something like Google Maps, where you might be sharing your location with somebody. And while Google Maps is a legitimate program, the way that it's used, for example, if I'm sharing my location on my phone, but I don't know who I'm sharing my location with, that could be an example of legitimate software being used in an unintentional way to show somebody's location. Another example could be something that's a little more uh, insidious. It could be something like software that's sold to monitor somebody's location or monitor somebody's activities, text messages, emails, that sort of thing. So those are two big buckets that Stockware could fall into. I'm actually curious, in, in what way could Google Maps be weaponized towards one-on-one personal stalking, for instance? So I want to make it clear that I don't consider Google Maps stalkerware per se, right. but we do need to consider that there are legitimate applications out there that can be used in ways that are unintended. So, for example, um, I'm somebody who shares my location with my husband on Google Maps. I've got a pretty long commute, and I don't want to be going back and forth about, hey, my train's coming in in 10 minutes, or it's delayed, that kind of thing. I just want to be able to say, yep, if you want to know where I am, here's my location. Well, it could be for some people who maybe at one point intentionally share their location, uh, might forget about it, and forget that they've authorized somebody who they don't want to know their location to be finding out where they are uh, months later or years later. Or it could be the case that in a relationship you have somebody who has access to your phone who could turn on that share my location setting without you knowing. So that could be something that 
you're not aware of. It's an application that you use on your phone. You know you have Google Maps installed. However, you don't want that setting to be activated. That could be one example. Okay, so I want to ask you about the more insidious stockware applications, you know, not Google Maps. Um, how do these applications typically work under the hood or, you know, technically speaking? We could be talking about software that runs on your phone or software that runs on your computer. Uh, I'll give you a case that I've investigated in my forensics career related to stalkerware type software running on a computer. And that is investigating somebody who is going through a high net worth divorce. Uh, the woman in the divorce kept a uh, you know, going to her lawyer and saying, you know, my ex who I'm trying to get out of this relationship with just seems to keep knowing things about where I am, who I've met up with, what I'm doing. And I haven't been in conversations with him about this. He seems to know more than he should know. So I come to do my forensic investigation of her computer, and it turns out that she had a commodity spyware tool installed. So at a technical level, what was going on is the software was monitoring her keystrokes, scraping information from what she was viewing on the web, taking screenshots of what she was doing on her computer, and sending that information out to this person in the divorce matter who she was trying to get a divorce from. What was really crazy is when this came up in the legal proceedings is that uh, we were able to show through the legal process that the husband uh, at the time had purchased this commercial spyware tool with his credit card number. So according to the software that we found installed on her computer, we found that that same software had been purchased by her then spouse with his credit card. So there is some commercial software out there that can do this kind of tracking, uh, key logging, screenshotting. And how does a program like this first enter a victim's device? So there could be a number of different ways that a program like that could get on somebody's device. Uh, in this case, I'm trying to recall if the then-husband had physical access to the computer and would have installed it like any other program. However, one thing I can go to that acts very similarly is uh, current malware like banking trojans and information stealers. And that kind of software that is out there in the wild trying to get you to install programs for an attacker's financial gain could potentially work in similar ways where the adversary sends you a file via email, for example, and you open up this email attachment that on its face might look like one thing. It might look like a PDF document or a Word document. But because those file formats can be so complex and have so much information embedded in them, they can often carry either that malware itself or on an internet-connected system, reach out to some kind of command and control server that can drop additional malware or drop that keylogger application. Can you tell me a bit more about all of the things that a perpetrator could do with access like this through one of these apps? 
I think through either a commodity app that you could purchase with your credit card or some, some other similar program out there. What's great and terrible is all you need to do is a Google search on, you know, install spyware, or you can even run a much more uh, innocuous term, like, how do I track my kids? How do I track what my family member is doing? Now, this gets into search terms that are a little bit more shady, perhaps. But when you run those searches in Google, you'll come up with a long list of programs that maybe purport to be legitimate monitoring software. Find out what your kids are doing online. Find out who your kids are talking to. Be able to read their emails. So if we take this off the computer example and we go on to cell phones, we get very similar capabilities. We get the ability to log keystrokes, to take screenshots, to monitor your location in this case. And there's a lot of the software that might have the capability to turn on your GPS and share that location data. Clarification question, stalkerware and spyware, are these two different terms for the same phenomenon or are they characteristically different? I would say that stalkerware is more commonly used to something that could share an individual's location. However, it is important that we define when we're talking about spyware and stalkerware what the exact capabilities are because one vendor of an antivirus program, for example, might say that they protect against one type of attack and they might not another. And I think it's important that we really try to define these terms in the context of the conversations that we're having. Now, I want to know where these apps stand in terms of legitimacy, legality. Is this malware, you know, quote unquote, like does the software show up on an antivirus scan? This is definitely software that, as we continue these discussions, is becoming picked up more and more on antivirus scans. So you can look at the work that uh, Eva Galperin at the EFF has done with vendors like Kaspersky to be able to pick up on these monitoring applications and to have something pop up and say, hey, you might not want to install this application. You might want to think twice about the permissions that this software has on your device. Are there any legitimate uses for such programs? If we think about the Google search example of, I want to monitor what my kids are doing on their phones. You could certainly make an argument that I want to monitor what my young child is doing on their devices. And I want to know what applications are installed and who they're talking to. So you could say that monitoring applications and hopefully with some conversation with that young child about what they're doing on their phone and how you're trying to validate that they're using that phone safely is a legitimate use of these tracking applications. You know, you you mentioned something earlier, and it's still kind of irking me, which is parents who track their children with this software. Is this a, considered a legitimate use of spyware programs? First from, you know, like a legal perspective, but also from a moral perspective. 
are parents using software on their children? And if so, what's the general view of this practice? Yeah, I, I think this whole conversation about spyware or stalkerware is really a conversation about informed consent. And I would hope that when we're talking about something very personal, like what you're writing, who you're talking to, where you are, is something that, you know, for the two parties involved, there can be open conversations about. And in an ideal world, I think that extends to even the youngest people in our communities. So while I think on the surface, there might be some ability to say, oh, yeah, this is... uh, this is a legitimate use. Parents care about their kids' safety and who they're talking to. I think it's still worth having this informed consent discussion uh, as broadly as possible when we're talking about that kind of access. So even if you don't necessarily have the numbers in front of you, do we have a sense of who tends to be using these programs? How many people are using these programs out in the world today? And who generally is on the receiving end of such cyber stalking or spying? Oh, I have no idea numbers-wise, but I I will give you a side anecdote that might lead into something else. Sure. So this summer, I was speaking at the Diana Initiative in Las Vegas, and the title of the talk I gave to my co-presenter was An APT to Your Personal Safety. So as cybersecurity professionals, we were talking about how we're very conscious of things like malware and APTs and how we need to identify these threats early before they get too embedded in your network. So we talked about InfoSec concepts like using the cyber kill chain to identify threats and stop them as early as possible. And then we related that to a personal attack. And by personal attack, we were talking exactly about spyware and stalkerware. And if you have somebody who is embedding themselves in your technological life who might have access to you, to your devices, and what does that mean for your personal safety, particularly in the context of relationships and if you should leave a relationship and if that person is intent on trying to track you and see what you're up to. This is exactly what we talked about. And just informally, as we followed conversations about this online, every time this topic came up, the pervasiveness of replies and number of people who responded, men and women, you know, from all different walks of life, people who are technologically savvy, people who weren't, was really astounding. And what was so moving is that after the talk, we spent probably two hours in the hallway after a 30-minute talk having conversations with people who had experienced something like this, Uh, people for whom the topic rang true and who had never heard it discussed in public before. And the more and more I have these conversations, And particularly after giving that talk on stage, I think whatever numbers are out there, it's something that is seriously underreported. And I hope that the more we talk about it, the more we can define just how much of a problem it is. 
Okay, last question. How does one tell if they're being monitored and what would you recommend they do if they believe they are? This is definitely one where I have responses and I want to be so conscious of how I phrase this. So somebody who suspects they're being monitored might have a completely different set of personal safety factors that they're trying to account for and different technological things that they have to do from person to person. So it could be that somebody has access to your Apple account if you're an iPhone user or your Google account if you're an Android user. And you might need to not just get a new phone, but really set up new accounts that are not associated to any of the devices or accounts that you had used in the past. It could be that you have malware on your laptop. You know, if I take the case of this divorce that I investigated and did the forensics on, in that one case, there was something in the real world that tipped off the person who had the spyware installed. She knew that there was no legitimate reason her then-husband would know these things about her life. And there were a few things about reviewing her online accounts and seeing that her accounts had been accessed from IP addresses and at times that she wasn't logged in. So that was her first tip-off. However, in her case, it took hours and hours of forensic analysis Mm -hmm. to dive into what was really going on. And not everybody has the resources to do that. Not everybody has the time to do that. This has been the Malicious Life Podcast. I'm Nate Nelson, senior producer for the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Tune in next week for a new episode. CK Music, music, music.